Hi, I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and thank you for joining me for Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. Now, if you're listening as you normally do, there's no change, but now we are also broadcasting our podcast on YouTube. So if you're watching here, you can see that we are coming to you from our back room at teachmetotalk.com. This is where our, our website things happen, but out there, fantastic things are happening because we're opening a new mission-based clinic here in Central Kentucky. But we we did not want to wait for all of our new sets of where we'll normally video the podcast or upcoming therapy tip of the weeks to bring you new information. So I'm so excited about doing this. There's one more really exciting opportunity that I want to talk about too. It's our increase or our expansion in our continuing education options for you. So now the podcast will get CE credit. And that's so important if you're a speech language pathologist and you are racking up those ashes CEUs. So look for that information in the next few weeks, and I'm so, so glad that we're, uh, again, able to bring that to you. So let's move on to today's topic. Today is our show is number 372, if you keep up with that sort of thing, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things. It's how to teach nonverbal toddlers to imitate. Now, if you're a speech pathologist or another kind of therapist, you already know this information, but when we get a kid who can't talk, it's really natural for therapists and especially for parents to think, well, I'm just going to teach him how to say words. <laughs> we'll just work on talking. I'll just get right in front of his little face and I'll just say mama 50 times and he'll just say it. It doesn't always work that way, does it? Imitation actually begins way back further in development. And so we have to think about this, how do kids learn how to imitate? And then we need to get our little late talkers caught up to that developmental level. Now let's do a little bit of review. Well, first of all, let's talk about why imitation is important. Imitation is the best predictor at 18 months, how a kid sees what you do and copies what you do. How he does that at 18 months is the very best way that researchers have found to predict what his language is like at 36 months old. So there is such a connection between how a kid can copy or imitate what he sees and then hears somebody else say, uh, and then how he's able to talk later. So that this is one of our premises that we begin with in early intervention and that we begin with in pediatric speech language pathology is looking at how well a nonverbal toddler can imitate. And so with kids, that's one of the things that we can use even as a screening um, tool or even as a screening skill we look at how well does this kid copy and that also tells us how worried to be about a child or because it is so predictive so if we have a child at 24 months who is copying a lot of things his parents do during the day if he sees dad uh, do something around the house. Uh, let's say he sees dad try to go over and uh, empty the garbage. The little boy may try to go over and start to try to do that too. A little girl sees her mama put on lipstick in the morning when she gets ready. And so she grabs something, you know, like... Well, I hope she doesn't grab this, but <laughs> and it's an oil, an essential oil sitting on my desk. And then she pretends that that's lipstick too, or she might take a pen and pretend like she's 
uh, putting on her lipstick like she sees her mom do. And so those kinds of things, when we see those little behaviors emerging, especially that uh, just immediate imitation, when they are see you do it and then they copy it right after you, we know that those children are actually closer to talking and have mastered that prerequisite skill of imitation more so than a child who seems to do his own thing. And even than a child who can do imitation in a delayed sense. Let's take those same examples before and, and that a child might watch his mom wash dishes and then later when he's playing with his his little set of dishes, it is fantastic when we see him try to copy those same movements. That That's fantastic. But the thing for language learning is we want to see it immediately happen because we want children to get into that mode where they hear what you say and then they try to copy that. They try to repeat the word that you've said. And that's, that's how as we're talking about this in the sense of imitation at 12 months to 18 months, that's how imitation really looks. And we do see both kinds. We see delayed imitation and immediate imitation, but we really want to get that immediate imitation going because that's how we can best measure. And that's how we can be more efficient when we're teaching late talkers how to talk, how to learn new words. So let, let me do though a little bit of review especially for those of you who are therapists and you can use this information in sessions with parents as you're talking about how early imitation evolves in typical development. I want you to be sure that you're walking through this with parents. And as a parent, you certainly need to know this about your own child and think about your own child, how early in typical development these imitative skills start to occur. Even newborns can start to imitate facial expressions and then that evolves a little little bit. A baby who's 12 weeks old, 14 weeks old, begins to coo back and forth and then even begin that verbal or vocal imitative piece. Children also in infancy learn how to copy actions with objects. You see their little hand go up on their bottle as they learn how to hold their own bottles. But before they get to the holding part, they're just placing their hand there because they, they've observed mom do it. Or maybe you've put the baby's hand there and he's, he's learned to keep his hand there. And so that's also imitation. And then as children learn to have better motor control and they learn to sit up on their own and do more things with their arms, they also begin uh, those early imitative play skills. They learn how to put things in a container and take things out. Even earlier, they learn how to shake a rattle in imitation. We teach them how to do things like stack blocks or operate a little busy box where there are all kinds of levers or dials or buttons to push. And so that's how imitation emerges in typically developing babies. Now, if you are a parent, you may be saying, well, my kid can do all of that, but I can never get him to do it right after he sees me do it. He's really hard to kind of contain and for me to keep him there and for him to stay with me but I see him do it later. That's exactly what I was talking about with delayed imitation. And that is great. And all kids learn with delayed, learn and, and demonstrate delayed imitation. And we want to see that. But <laughs> we've got to get them to the point where we see that immediate imitation. So we're going to talk about the very best ways today that I've found to help nonverbal toddlers begin to imitate. 
And so, like we've talked about using the model from typical development, we've talked about how imitation emerges non-verbally or not with their mouth, so actions, actions, what they can do with their body movements. That's what we're going to start with. We always begin with the nonverbal, and then we move it to uh, verbal or vocal imitation, if you want to be real technical about that. So that's what today's show is about. It's me teaching you how to walk through this. Now, again, as a therapist, this is the kind of information that you should be sharing with parents. We're never going to go in and just start to use our strategies and say, this is something that I want you to do without some kind of explanation. And parents understand very well when their children cannot imitate words. But you've really got to say and take them, take them back further in development and say the things that I've already said today, that imitation actually begins in infancy. And so we need to back your child all the way up and walk him through these levels of imitation to make sure that he's mastering each of those little steps because language really and speech language development is really built on this foundation that a child has achieved all of these earlier prerequisite skills. And so you've got to do a great job as a therapist talking about that and explaining to a parent why you're working on these things. Otherwise, they say things like, all you do is play. <laughs> they look at you with, uh, if you're not taking toys anymore, if you're even using their toys at their home, they may, if you're not pl even playing very much, they, they might say, you're not doing very much of anything because you're not explaining to them what you're looking for and why you're having a parent talk or why you're talking to a parent about do, beginning these kinds of actions in play or teaching a little song. A lot of times a parent thinks, what in the world does this have to do with helping my child learn how to talk? And so as a therapist, you really have to walk a parent through this process. And if you're a parent listening right now, I hope that these explanations have helped you as well so that you can understand this is why my child can't imitate words yet because he's not really imitating much of anything directly after me you know aha I can I hope that some of you are having kind of the light bulb go off right now so that you're thinking now I understand why he's not talking yet he's not able to imitate me consistently enough yet and immediately enough and quickly enough to be able to imitate words from me so uh, as I said before we're going to walk through five best ways <laughs> to help a nonverbal toddler learn how to imitate. Now, hands down, my number one way here is by teaching him to imitate me during a social game. So what is a social game? A social game is any little game that you're going to play with the child where you're both interacting, you're both being social. And so it is dependent on that connection there or on that that two-person, back-and-forth, reciprocal interaction. Now, that's the reason that lots of toddlers, especially those who go on to be diagnosed with autism, aren't imitating. It's because they're not socially connected enough. And so we have to go back to that point and make sure that we are addressing, uh, addressing the very core reason that a child isn't imitating. So that would be in the context of that one-on-one -on -one 
interaction. You know, nobody else there, nothing else really matters other than that child is there and you were there and you were both enjoying each other and experiencing what you're experiencing together. There's none of this, he's doing his thing and you're just tagging along, which is what happens with a lot of us as we try to treat kids, especially those with red flags for autism. It's that he's really, really engaged with us. And so we use these social games as an opportunity to really work on that core piece of social interaction and we were teaching that imitation piece. So my very favorite social games are just really simple ones to get it going. So something like give me five. And so just holding your hand out. And if you're watching on YouTube, you have an advantage over those people who are listening on the podcast because I am very uh, demonstrative as I am showing you these social games. So if you're listening on the podcast and you're thinking, I wish I could see what she's doing, check it out on YouTube so you can uh, see how to do some of these things. But just give me five. That's such an easy little social game, such a social routine. And let me say too, a lot of times we put our hands down or our hands up I try to get my hand at my my face in the line of vision with the child while he's giving me five, especially at the beginning, because I don't want it to be about the hand. I want it to be about him realizing that he's giving me five, that he's interacting with me. And so do what you can to, you know, if you're leaning down to play give me five with the child or however you play it, be sure that you get your face right there too, because you want that to be a really, really interactive game. Another early And again, what's the point here? It's that he copies or he knows to, when you've got your hand out there, to give you five. And you do want to make it reciprocal where you do teach him to hold his hand out and that you're giving him five too. And that's why, that's the imitation part, but it's also the turn-taking part. And you really can't discuss imitation without discussing turn-taking. And both of those skills are pre-linguistic, meaning before language emerges. We have to have kids imitate and we have to have them take turns. And so lots of these things that I'm going to be talking about today are a great way to get imitation going, but they're also a great way to get that back and forth or that turn-taking piece going. Too. And if you'll think about that as a therapist, those really those skills should be combined when we're talking about it with parents. You may separate it a little bit in the beginning, but you need to say, as we're teaching a child to imitate, we're also increasing his ability to take turns with you. And that really is what communicating is all about. It's that back and forth interaction between two people. And so again, you're doing this teaching, you're doing this education piece. And you also want to be sure that you're almost a broken record when you're talking about it like this. You want a parent hearing that, you know, communicating always takes two people. We want him to imitate you. We want him to take turns with you. We want him to see you do something and do it, and then you do it, and then he does it, and then you do it. You know, and you explain that over and over and over and over so that parents and grandparents and teachers really understand what you're talking about here. And you're providing that connection. You're helping them know why they're working on these social games why they're working on that. So if somebody says to them, if if a mother-in-law <laughs> says to the mother of a late talker, I thought you were working in speech therapy. He should be working on talking. He should be working on, you know, learning ABCs and colors and all those things. The mom should be able to say, 
actually, that's why he's in speech therapy, and we have to back up and teach him how to imitate us and teach him how to interact with us. And so that's why we're playing these little games. And so you, as a therapist, you want your moms just spitting out the same kind of information that you've given them, and they can't do that. They can't provide that explanation unless you've done a good job of explaining that first. So be sure that you're doing that, and, and again, help parents make that connection. So back to social games. We talked about Gimme Five. Another early social game that I do is called Aboom, and it's in my book, uh, Teach Me to Play With You, I'm, my therapy manual. I meant to get a copy of that, but it's over there, and I'm not going to go get it. But Teach Me to Play With You is filled with these social games. And this little game is from that book, and it is so easy, and it's one that I have just used with success for you know 25 years now but it's it's you are and i use it too when at the very beginning when a child is really attentive and really really looking at me and nothing else is really going on and i want him right here focused on me and on eye contact with me and on interacting with me and i'll just simply raise my hands and say ah boom and then make a big deal about smacking your hands down on whatever surface is in front of you. And the boom part is actually what attracts the toddler to you. So if you've kind of lost in between ah and boom, which happens a lot, <laughs> if you're a therapist or the parent of a busy child, you'll know you could lose a kid that quickly, but to, just to get that ah and then boom really, really loudly. And so what are you doing there? You're teaching a child to imitate a little motor movement, which we'll talk about in a minute how important these body movements are um, and that's kind of the backup two point if a kid won't do it this way but with a game like Aboom you're teaching him to copy well first of all you're teaching him to attend to watch you as you do your Aboom you know that really simple kind of game that nobody's probably ever played with him before so it's brand new You've got that novelty piece, but you're teaching him to watch you and stay with you and be interested in you. So what do you do after you've done it one time? Don't let a kid just walk away and think, wow, what was all that about? <laughs> you know, repeat it. As soon as he's looked at you and made some eye contact, say something like, oh, that was fun. Uh, boom. And then go right back to that next repetition. And what again, your goal here eventually is to get him to want to imitate or copy that motor movement too and so sometimes with some kids they'll start to do the boom part right after you or you'll play it with them see i would play this say half a dozen times so six or seven times in a row and then move on and do something else but you might see later and again a lot of times delayed imitation comes in before we see immediate imitation You'll start to see them look at you and then just slam their hands down. And you've got to be on the ball enough to remember, he's doing a boom. He's trying to get me to play that game with him. Or hopefully, a kid will try to do it right after you. And they usually start with the boom part first. Now, some kids will look at you and start to raise their hands after they've seen you play the game several times. And... I just feel like home free <laughs> every time that's happened. Like, oh, we are getting somewhere because they, they are initiating that game with me. And I know that they're imitating it too. And again, we want it to be immediate where you play it with them and they start to do it with you and they are copying those movements. But you probably will see that delayed imitation piece first. So, ah, boom, great, great social game to get that going. Any kind of little repetitive movement. So, 
where they are copying right after you. Songs are a really great way to get this going. So a song like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Or if you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. Any song that will give you, uh, first of all, that opportunity to interact, so that's the social game piece, and then plus a simple motor movement for them to copy. I love the song Jingle Bells, and even though it's a Christmas song, I sing it all year long, and we'll talk about that in a minute when we get to Music Toys, which is another strategy, another one of our five best ways to teach uh, nonverbal toddlers to imitate. But Jingle Bells is a great one, and you, I just sing, you know, Jingle Bells, Jingle Bells, Jingle All the Way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey, and so just arms up is that part of uh, imitating there that you want to see a kid do. Uh, any other little song like Wheels on the Bus, uh, Open, Shut Them. Do you know that little song? If you don't know that, that's in Teach Me to Play With You Too. Itsy Bitsy Spider. Anything like that. Now, if you're listening and you're outside the United States and you think, I don't know any of those songs, that's okay. <laughs> Use the songs that are part of your everyday parent routines wherever you are. So anything that has that little social game component, meaning that he's going to play with you and copy a little motor movement that you do. So let's talk about this. And this actually leads to number two. The second best way, or the, the second way, it's not really sequential here, the very best and then the next best. It's more like try these five ways. But this one is almost my backup two point. If I can't get a kid really hooked in imitating me during these little songs or during a social game like Gimme Five or um, Ah Boom or any of those other little Ring Around the Rosies where I fall down and they fall down. If I can't get a kid to do any of that, you know that it's too hard. So anytime we can't get a child to do something that we want them to do, we should automatically think, Ugh, I've got to find something easier. And if you've heard me talk before, if you have done my course, uh, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, you know my catchphrase in that course is back up. <laughs> when something is too hard, you've got to back up. You've got to make it easier for a child to imitate. So if we can't get them to imitate arms up in the context of singing a song like Jingle Bells or... Uh, the boom part, copying the motor movement of hitting the his hands on his high chair tray or on the ottoman or the couch uh, after you in that game. We know, oh, this is too much for him to process. So let me try it a different way. Let's just isolate that body movement and see what we can get there. So then we might try things like clapping where we are just clapping. And, and so many kids love praise and love for you to make a big deal about whatever success they've just had and so even if you're not that kind of mom you've, you've never been like that you're just you're quieter you're more you think about yourself as more adult like that could be a change you could add today <laughs> and make a difference with the child just beginning to clap it's an easy motor movement i've had kids who don't who have never imitated anything after anyone after in just a session or two start to really clap with me now you can't just do it like we were talking about before you can't just do it one time and think that a child will get it you really have to do it 
like I said before, half a dozen times in a row and then move on to something else and then come back and do it several times in a row. So let's say that y'all are playing, um, let's say that you're building Legos, that he really, really likes Legos. And so wait until he's done a couple things, pull the Legos apart or push the Legos together, whatever, and then just start to clap and make a big deal about it and say, yay. Or let's say he's finished a book. He sat with you for four pages of a book, and that's rare. <laughs> or even a kid who loves a book. He sat with you for a long time with the book. And just after you finish, just start clapping and say, yay, we did it, yay. Give him some little motor movements to imitate. Lots of times kids will start to do it on their own, but if they don't, that's okay too. Reach out, take their little hands, and help them do it. Give them that hand-over-hand -hand assistance. And so you're helping them perform that body movement. Now, we didn't talk about this when we were talking about those earlier, easier social games like uh, Boom and Give Me Five, but you can certainly do that with those kinds of games too. Just reach out, get their little hands, and help them do it, and get that motor movement going. And then once they start, the clapping or the or the body movement that we talked about then don't leave them there help you can go two ways with this you can either i call you can go deeper wide with it <laughs> you can take that one uh motor movement that they've done like clapping and go deep and make them have them clap in all other kinds of uh, situations, other kinds of things. So this might be where you're clapping and you have them transition that to if you're happy and you know it or or patty cake, another little song where they're clapping. Or you can go wide with this. You think, okay, he copied one motor movement from me. He got one gross motor movement. Let me get another gross motor movement. So other ones that I like to do are knocking. That's a great one. And some kids will start to do it, again, as a pat first, and that's okay. And you can have them knock on doors, real doors, as you're going from one room to another or outside or inside of your home. You can have them knock on toys that have doors. So many little toys have doors and just start to look look for that, you know, not, 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 make that a part of what you're doing. Um, dancing is a great body movement to help a nonverbal toddler learn how to imitate. That's a great one. Kicking, and I like to use um, it just a light kind of ball, a ball that's not very heavy because you want a child to get a lot of oomph with that movement. I like to kick balloons. So balloons are a fun, that's a fun way to kind of get things going with balloons. Any kind of other gross motor movement too, like throwing. Um, you have to beat a kid to the ball though, because again here, what are you trying to teach? You're trying to teach imitation. Now you may be thinking, Laura, he would have thrown the ball anyway. And that's great. That is fantastic because you do want to use these predictable motor movements or actions, uh, body movements to get things going at first. But remember, your goal is imitation. So you can't just let the kid throw the ball 10 times in a row and say, he's imitating me. You've got to get in there too and take your turn. And remember how we talked about imitating and turn-taking turn -taking are so interconnected. So you want to be sure that you're doing that too. So that's the second best way to teach a toddler to imitate is get those body movements going. Now, remember we talked about wide here. Remember that little song, Deep and Wide? We talked about that, all those different motor movements. And then we talked about we could go deep with it, though. We could teach a kid how, remember we used the example of clap, 
So we can teach them how to clap just as we're saying yay or in the context of whatever our little game is or our toy is. And then we're going to teach them how to do it in patty cake and then teach them how to do it in if you're happy and you know it. You need to do the same thing with those other motor movements. And again, this is how you make it imitative or how you get that imitation uh, practice in. And so you think how many different ways can I work in uh dancing today how many different ways or contexts can I work in this knocking and I gave you some examples as we went through there but I want you to think about it and not just make it a one-time thing and that's what happens a lot with parents you'll hear your therapist give you an idea or you will read it from a blog and then you'll do it and if it doesn't work you instantly give up and think well that didn't work with my child my child's different that's no, <laughs> your child is wonderfully unique, but you have got to try. You've got to be repetitive so that you're doing the same little action over and over and over to give him an opportunity to learn how to do it and to learn how to imitate. He's not getting it naturally or he would have already, he, he would be doing it on his own. So you know that this is hard for him. So you know you're going to have to try a little harder. You know, I had, this was years ago, I worked with a set of triplets and the mom was an OT. So fabulous sessions. Gosh, we just had the best time because we just put our therapy hats on together and we would talk about all three of her kids and they were all, they all were different. And so it was just so much fun to work with them and work with her. And then one day dad came home and he was an accountant or something, you know, in finance, just completely completely different you know I always joke that speech pathologists can't do math well this this dad did math all day long so we we're like you know from different planets and so he came home and he was watching therapy one day and I think we were I think we were doing signs at that point and it was really early on and he said to me at the end of the session you know wow Laura if I tried as hard as you did of course they would do that for me and I just kind of wanted to go oh, well my work is done <laughs> He gets it. He gets. He has to try. He has to keep doing something over and over and over and over to help his children learn that. You know, repetition is so important and such an important part of mastering anything you learn. It doesn't matter if we're talking about learning how to ride a bike or learning how to swim or learning how to drive or learning how to make a, a, a recipe, you know, cook. It doesn't matter what it is. It's You have to repeat it. You have to have multiple opportunities to practice. And the same is true with learning how to talk. And then it's also true with all that lead up to learning how to talk. So learning how to imitate. So we have to give children these frequent opportunities to imitate these body movements. And remember, we also, that was also kind of contingent in our first strategy there in our social games piece too, because the, that was really based on not only interacting, but on how well they imitate what you've done in that little social routine. Okay, let's get to the third best way to teach a toddler how to imitate. And this is an easy one, and you are going to love this if you've not thought about this before, but it's with household activities. And this is just a very basic kind of no-brainer strategies that so many of us forget to talk about with families and we therapists we're looking for sometimes strategies that are a little more technical but this is a great one because 
This is pulled straight from typical development. And we talked about it at the beginning of the show. One of the best ways, or one of the main ways that an 18-month-old or a 12-month-old really begins to imitate is copying what he sees mom and dad do. And so let's break those examples down to something really, really simpler. So copying a parent during household routines, so daily routines at home, these everyday things that all of us do, like washing the high chair tray or washing the table that your child has just um, completed a meal. That's a fantastic way to get that imitation going. And a lot of times parents miss that because you get the kid down (laughs) from where he's eating and then you wash the table. But I mean, just try it today. If you've never noticed this before, toddlers love to wash. (laughs) And so give them a rag or a cloth or I use baby wipes all the time in sessions with children where we're washing toys. A lot of times it's part of the cleanup routine that they've been drooly or just just to be sanitary to get those little hands, get those little germs off with kids have played with a toy. You know, we're just going to get it clean for the next kid. So washing is a part of that therapy routine, but you can really make that an activity in and of itself. And you'll see little ones do this all the time where they are, it looks like they're imitating dusting. They take, you know, they might pick up a sock from the floor and you'll see them pick it up and try to wipe a table off. (laughs) They're imitating. And again, it is best and it's best to teach it in that context of immediate imitation where I do it, you do it. So think about how you can do that. Uh, Other kids, other toddlers love to imitate household activities like sweeping or vacuuming. And I tell a story in my uh, Steps to Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers course that's on DVD for therapists. And when I taught that course live, I would always tell the story about how my own daughter, who's 23 now, uh, would just fight me to vacuum or to sweep or to mop. She loved that. And so that little natural inclination that children have to do what they see adults doing really is is there throughout all of a parent's activities during the day. So make that really, really purposeful. So when you're in the kitchen, things like when you're cooking, giving them a bowl and a spoon and you stand right in front of them and get really deliberate about stirring with the spoon and teaching them how to do that. During a meal, it might be something like uh, using your cup and then their sippy cup to do cheers. You know, that's imitating, you know, and then hopefully they're going to keep on doing it with you with turn taking. And then eventually you want them to start that little routine with you and that's initiating. But kids can't do any of that until they've learned that imitation piece. So they've learned to copy you and do it. Uh, you can also, during meals, use some of those other ideas that we've already had with body movements like knocking on uh, the table or wherever they're eating or holding up their spoon or uh, anything that you're doing there, anything that would be in that everyday routine where they are copying a movement that you have just uh, done with them. You know, one of my very favorite things to do when a kid is really, really imitative at this stage where they are just everything that I'm doing, they're doing, or if I'm watching them, if I'm at home with them and we're in the kitchen and we're having a snack and, and I, mom's kind of gotten herself busy over doing something and I'll notice, gosh, he's trying to do exactly what she's doing. He wants to go put up the groceries too. He wants to help her load the dishwasher too. He's, mom. He sees mom 
uh, you know, try to wash something or raise your hands or do whatever she's doing. And he's copying that too. And I think, aha, he has gotten to the point where he is just copying action after action after action after action. Then you know that you can bump that kid up. And so for those kinds of kids, you might try something verbal there. You might just kind of sneak it in and throw it in. And so in the kitchen, when I've gotten a kid to really stir with the spoon and we're pretending to cook and we might have a bigger pot there, even something like a bowl, and I've had him do several things with it. And let's, let me just take everything out of this little bowl here on my desk. Um, we've had him, you know, like we were talking about before, stir, and we might have him pretend to drink or whatever. Just throw a verbalization in, throw a oh in, or throw a da da da, or something you know he can say. And you're using your household item as the prop here. <laughs> and sometimes kids will start to imitate like that verbally when they've never done anything like that before. I mean, it's the first time, but what have you done? You've met them where they are developmentally, so you've taught them. You're really going to get them to imitate all these nonverbal things, and then you bump them up just a little bit where they've got that verbal piece in there, that vocalization is thrown in there. So that's certainly a way that we were talking about before, that deep and wide. You know, we want to make sure that a child can do one action in lots of different contexts or lots of different actions kind of strewn throughout the day. And so the same that holds here for household activities too. We can bump them up. Not only can he imitate with the pot, you know, patting on the pot, you might do that, or rolling the pot or bowl back and forth, you know, in your everyday routine of being in the kitchen or whatever you're doing in there, cooking or putting up dishes or just whatever you're doing in there. You're giving him lots of things to imitate with that one object, then make it verbal and see if a kid can go there with you. Sometimes they'll surprise you. They'll do things, or you don't even have to make it a real speech sound yet. Like I said, uh, the da-da-da or the, even a vowel like an ah. Sometimes you can just do, you know, just a breath, something, something that they've done with their mouth there, or even, you know, a tongue click where you are bumping it up just a little bit to see what can he do with me imitatively here what can I get him to do and again using a prop like this sometimes works like magic for some kids it's too hard and you you've made it the complexity you have to simplify it but for some kids it almost takes the pressure off and they're going to want to do it with you so that's another idea all right our let's move on those were three great ways let's move on to number four the fourth best way to teach a toddler, uh, a nonverbal toddler, to begin to imitate, use music toys. Now, I'm about to do a therapy tip of the week about this, and look for the link right there so that you can see these, uh, these toys exemplified, because I'll use that in therapy tip of the week. But any kind of little music toy is fantastic to teach imitation. So why is that? Well, first of all, Kids love music, and we know we know this from them being in another room, and they're totally distracted or doing their own thing, and then they hear their favorite commercial on TV, and what do they do? They are all about get, getting into the den to see the television and hear that because they've heard that music. Or sometimes when you are working with a child and things have just gone horribly wrong, you start to sing and, ah, 
they're right back with you. They love music. They're drawn to music. And so that's why these music toys are really, really cool, too. And that's why toy manufacturers and education specialists use music from birth with kids. And so now we think, well, let's use what they already like. Let's use something that makes music here. And so that's how we'll teach them to imitate. So any little toy... Uh, like bells that we talked about before and I'll be dem- showing you some of my favorite ones in therapy tip of the week but bells any kind of shakers or maracas any kind of little piano or xylophone toy those are great my favorite toy to use to teach imitation uh, that's a music toy is a lollipop drum and again if you don't know what that is check out that therapy tip of the week because it's it's a cool toy it's uh, just like the dr- a drum head and then there's a stick on it and it looks like a lollipop and but it, it comes with a stick and it sounds really cool it sounds very percussiony and so kids are really attracted to it but even just a regular drum set is a good idea here and what you're doing remember is teaching them to copy you or teaching them to imitate and do exactly what you've done so you're going to show them how to do it and then give them a turn now let's talk about something that we haven't talked about yet that we haven't really needed to i guess we could have talked about it in household activities but sometimes kids will get fixated with an object when you were trying to get them to imitate and they will just kind of take it and then do their own thing you can almost see them you know take it and then it's like bye-bye you know i'm checking out from you (laughs) you're you're dead to me You have disappeared because I have moved on to do what I'm going to do in my own little world. You don't want to do that. So when it's possible, when when a kid will let you do it this way, just use one object or one set of objects so that they learn, again, that imitation piece or that turn-taking piece. You do it, I do it, you do it, I do it, you do it, I do it. And they stay there with you and they are still continuing to focus on that and it is the best context but some kids have a real problem with letting you have a turn or which and it kind of gets back to that whole sharing thing I don't want to share this with you and not sharing in the I'm a brat and nobody else gets a turn sense but sharing in the I am very internally or intrinsically focused this is all about me here this is all about uh, my turn and I don't really care if I if you if I get the object I'm just so hyper focused on what's going on and I and and it's not even again that sometimes kids won't let you have a turn with something they can't let you have a turn yet they developmentally are at that focus where social interaction is just not that rewarding for them and they again are very self-isolating so for those kids sometimes you really do have to use two objects or two sets of things so that they will stay with you and let you be there at all and let you participate at all otherwise they're just going to take the toy and run (laughs) and do their own thing or get so closed down but really use your judgment on that if there's a kid who kind of is um, 
Or another situation, if there's a kid who's kind of a hoarder, (laughs) you know what I mean by that? They want everything. And so if you have four or five different little music toys there, they're not going to be satisfied until they are holding all of them, right? And so for those kids, you have to stick with one thing at a time. But there are a lot of kids that if you'll go ahead and add that second set of bells or that second drumstick where you modeled and then they imitate you, and then you model the action, and they imitate you, it may go a little bit better. So look at that and just experiment. But remember now your overall goal is to get kids to the point where it can be true turn-taking, where you do it, they do it, you do it, they do it. And I think this kind of thing is easier to teach with these music toys than any other activity that we've really talked about so far because with the household activities they do tend to get a little focused on boy I'm gonna wash here and I'm gonna wash it wash it wash it wash it wash and so they do tend to leave you out a little bit more but with a music toy that again the feedback is so novel they're hearing the tinkling of um, the little bells that you've used or shakers or, or whatever even if you're using an electronic toy which is Ugh, not my favorite, but for some, in some homes, if, especially if you're a therapist in a state early intervention program and you're really using the consultative model and you're trying very hard not to take anything, you're really following that no toy bag recommendation, you may not have access to anything but an electronic toy to teach imitation. And I'll tell you, it's going to be harder because with those kinds of toys, kids do tend to get a little hyper-focused. And a therapy term for that is called self-stimulatory, meaning that they want to push the button 55 times in a row because they are so focused, again, on their own internal feedback or what they are getting out of that that they just forget that you are there. And so they do keep doing it again and again and again. It's very a very self-focused activity. So these electronic toys do tend to breed that or reinforce that in kids and so if you if you can if that's all you have it's all you have and you can talk to parents about getting imitation going with like we talked about the household activities and the body movements and the social games so you're going to want to lean toward that but for some kids this is the only thing that they'll really really attend to and so when this happens I just try to take my turn super super quickly and get in there where I'm really pushing the button on the piano or tapping the uh, xylophone key and then giving the stick right back and then see again see if we can get that going or, or or if it's an ABC toy you know I'm pushing and seeing if he'll let me have a turn and do it after me and again you have to be really careful and objective to decide is he really imitating me here is he really doing this and we talked about this a little bit before but is this what he would have done anyway and so use your judgment there and if you're thinking well he's really not imitating me he's really not he's really just kind of stuck doing his own thing then you'll know this is not a super productive activity for me and let me just say don't fool yourself as a therapist, as a parent, when you're working on something, if the skill isn't there, it's not there. And we do keep trying and we do keep pushing and prodding, but don't tell yourself he's really imitating when you know in your heart that he's not. Because when we give kids too much credit, we, we don't back up. When we say that they've mastered a skill when they haven't, 
it really kind of it kind of cuts your legs off and their legs off too to to kind of use an example right there because it's not going to be any benefit for them down the road because then when they finally do start doing the activity which might be three months later six months later nine months later you've given them credit for it so you've looked like this child has had a plateau for a really long time when that's not what's going on at all you just gave him credit for it way back when it was an emerging skill or when it was just still a splinter skill but he had not mastered it and you did not give that child the benefit of, of mastery or the benefit of practicing that over and over and over and over and so and again we talked about remember mastering that how what a a critical piece repetition is for that and that really builds the foundation you can't just uh, we were using the example of driving before your parents didn't just teach you how to drive one day and then you go get your driver's license and you're cut loose on your own you had to practice for weeks and months before you sort of were ready for some autonomy and autonomy at that point might mean mom sits there and drives with you but just keeps her mouth shut and doesn't tell you every little thing anymore you know there's a process and there's certainly a process even within learning how to imitate and the more delayed a child is or disordered a child is the longer this process is going to take and so just know that just know that you're going to have to work on this for days and days or if you're a therapist session after session after session before you'll start to see some progress now the good thing about this is we've pulled these skills way back remember we started this whole uh, episode of the podcast today talking about the best ways to teach imitation to a nonverbal toddler and so our natural inclination there is to start with words and so we're not even talking about that yet yet we've backed it way up to the point where we are talking about really simple actions with objects here at this music toy level or the household activity level actions with objects with sweeping with a toy broom or even you know the real broom or um, again at that body movement and social game strategy that we're talking about for the first two strategies where a child was really really just using his own body there we've met them where they are developmentally because those are really really early stages of imitation and so we we've done some of that we've taken some of that push 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 get too far ahead get you know given credit for what he can't do yet we've we've taken some of that out because we brought it back down to where uh, a child really really is developmentally and made that a little easier for him so music toys that was our fourth strategy here for the best way to teach imitation to a nonverbal toddler our fifth one is really really good and it's a one-turn toy so use an activity that's just one turn and let me say one quick turn um, and so let me give you some examples of this this would be any kind of toy that has one button to push and we sort of talked about that with an electronic toy and so this kind of that or an electronic music toy and so this kind of falls within that same category but let me just caution you here you want the turn to be quick and so if you were trying to use a toy where you push a button and then it plays a song that's you know 30 seconds that's too long you want a turn that's super super quick because remember what we're working on here is imitation so getting him to do the same thing that you've done and that turn taking piece if you have to wait 30 seconds for another turn 
that's an eternity. <laughs> You've lost a child a lot of times by that point. So think about that too. How fast can, uh, how fast would, will this be so that when you're picking a toy for turn taking? And again, here we're talking about toys that again are pretty basic or pretty, um, parents think about these kind of as baby toys because that's where these children are developmentally. And that's hard for some parents to hear if they have a two-year-old that's not talking and they really haven't thought much about a language delay or a parent has somehow just convinced themselves that this is just about expressive language or this is just about saying words and then you're trying to really talk to them about backing everything way up to get to an easier earlier developmental level and so you start to bring out some of these toys or you start to you look at the toys in the home and the parent is saying well he doesn't really play with anything and you say well do you have anything else do you have something simpler and they get a look on their face like when they realize that you're talking about baby toys because they're processing and they're thinking, oh my goodness, they're, put, they're putting it together. They're saying that's why he's not playing with these toys because these are too hard for him. Now, sometimes parents will lapse into, he just doesn't like it. He doesn't like toys. He's doing something else. That's not really ever the case. It's that they don't know how to play with those toys. So that's why they're not occupied with what should be a very natural part of a toddler's life. <laughs> Playing with developmentally appropriate toys. And we know that they're developmentally appropriate because typically developing children are interested in toys and do like toys and do spend the majority of their day playing with toys. And so we know that. And so for some of our kids, too, we have to talk to parents about, well, when we're teaching imitation here, we've got to bring it way back. And so we need toys that aren't pretend play and that aren't based on doing, you know, 15 things to make the toy operate. We need to get really, really simple. So one button to push, one lever to pull, one thing to put in or one thing to take out. Uh, so some examples that I like here are just a CNC toy where the lever pulls. And I do like that there's a visual feedback and auditory feedback. So there's a little dial that the kid can watch spin. And that's fascinating to lots of toddlers, especially our little friends who may get a little too fascinated with that. But it keeps them with you in play. It, it does become self-stimulatory for some kids. But for um, other, other kinds of toys like that, again, the auditory feedback, they're hearing the song, they're hearing the little music that the toy plays. And so uh, you remember what we said about we have to keep the turn super, super short. So in the therapy tip of the week uh, that I'm about to do, I've got some great examples of some new toys like that. Um, I went shopping yesterday. <laughs> it was so fun. Got a lot of cool uh, new toys. And so... Uh, things where you do just uh, a racetrack that I've used for a long time, but I got a new version of it where just one little push makes the cars go down the swirly, both sides of a swirly track. And that is very, very motivating because we just took the one turn and then we get that immediate payoff. But again, with a toy like this, your, your focus is what? Is it really on them learning how to play? Not here. The focus is on them copying. And they do learn how to play, and that is fantastic. And play is a pre-linguistic skill that children need to master because they're 
putting together all kinds of cognitive resources here and they're combining it with their fine motor skills so that they're really, you know, we look at an overall pattern of development here. So learning how to play is fantastic, but here, what are we working on? We're working on imitation. So you do a turn, they do a turn. You do a turn, they do a turn. So I wanna show you a lot of cool toys that, uh, and, and some old favorites too, a thing like a jack-in-the-box that I got, gosh, probably, Oh my goodness, 15 years ago. And it's probably the fifth one that I've owned in that whole, and then they don't make it anymore. It's a discovery toy. It's uh, Peaks the Clown, but you push the button and the little clown pops up. It's a very simplified jack-in-the-box. But I love that toy because you just take one little action and I love it because I can do the action with the jack-in-the-box and then the child can do the action with the jack-in-the-box and then mom can do the action. And so that imitation piece is built in there even within the context of our little turn-taking routine. So those quick turn toys are the fifth best way to work on teaching nonverbal toddlers to imitate. And again, take a look at that therapy tip of the week uh, video so that you can see some examples of that. And if you are, if you want to get some of those kinds of toys, I'll have a post about that too with some great links so that you can get that toy quickly. If you don't have hours and hours and aren't a toy junkie like me, if you don't love going in Walmart or toys, well, not Toys R Us anymore since they're uh, gone out of business, but any kind of toy store. I was in TJ Maxx yesterday and I didn't go to all the cool sections with the the jewelry and the shoes and the clothes. I was over in the toy section. <laughs> but if you, that's not you, you don't like to spend hours and hours shopping for toys like that, look at that post because you'll have some links right there and you can pick up some of these and you'll have the instructions that show you or tell you exactly how to use that toy. And if you're more visual, like I said, the Therapy Tip of the Week uh, episode will really, really help you with that. So let me say one more thing. When you're looking for these toys, you really do have to balance, one, how quick the turn is, and two, how easy is it going to be for the child to get lost in his own world. And so we talked about that already, where, where kids do get self-stimulatory with a toy. And so don't use these toys when you're teaching imitation because you are setting yourself up for failure. If you know that a child is totally fixated on Thomas the Train and you want to be included in Thomas, so if any of your goals include imitation, turn-taking, or social interaction, do not use Thomas. <laughs> even though he loves it, even though it's his favorite thing in the world, he's not going to include you. And you're almost doing a disservice to that child because you are setting, himself up, setting him up for something that he just can't do. And so really, really pay attention to that. You've got to always balance between will this work with this child? And then if it doesn't work, you know, well, I messed up. Let me see if there's another toy on this list or can I think of another toy where this kind of action is necessary or this kind of quick turn is available, but that it's not something that he will totally get so fixated on that I'm no longer part of that. So I wanted to mention that as well. So let's do a little recap. The five best ways to teach imitation to nonverbal toddlers would be social games. So easy social games. Remember I showed you the ah boom game or games like Gimme Five or if you need a more active game, a game like Ring Around the Rosies where the imitative part is to fall down. We all fall down at the end of that song. Any other little song like Wheels on the Bus where they're copying or Itsy Bitsy Spider where they're copying those hand motions from you. 
you know, you can even, we talked about if you're in a different country and you don't even know what those games are, use whatever uh, game that your uh, culture uh, that other kids use, use those little things. Uh, I have started, again, teaching a little Wednesday night toddler group at my church, and we're doing a lot of this kind of imitation with songs like This Little Light of Mine. And I mentioned deep and wide before. I used that analogy for uh, how we teach motor movements. That's because I've been singing deep and wide every Wednesday night with uh, with little friends. And so you can adapt. You, you know, you have certain songs that you like. If they have hand motions, just go for it because that's what you're working on here. It's, it's not the particular song or game that I recommended. It's the skill that the child is learning, which is that motor imitation piece. The second best way was body movements. Remember, we talked about clapping, jumping, knocking, dancing. The third one was household activities with washing, sweeping, things, uh, vacuuming. We talked about the bowl and the pot in the kitchen or stirring with a spoon. The fourth one was music toys. Get that going with turn-taking and imitation with simple music toys. And then the last one was the one-turn toys. So uh, watch that therapy tip of the week or read that post that's uh, linked here so that you can get an example of real specific toys to use there. All right, so those were the five best ways to teach imitation to toddlers. If you need more information about imitation, I want to give you some extra resources. The first one is uh, just a, uh, an article on at Hannon.org. It's called Imitation with Children on the Autism Spectrum. And even if your child is language delayed and is not on the spectrum, that's a super, super resource with even some additional references to use there for teaching imitation with children. Another great program is uh, Dr. Rhea Paul's program, Rapid Motor Imitation Antecedent Training Manual, Teaching Preverbal Children to Talk or Preverbal pre-verbal children with ASD to talk, but it talks a lot about that uh, gross motor imitation and fine motor imitation, just those motor movements, body movements, that that's how we lead a child, uh, get him imitating so well, and then we work him into that verbal imitation piece, which we also talked about. And I also want to give you several of my references or my resources uh, at Teach Me to Talk. The first one is a great therapy manual called Building Verbal Imitation Skills in Toddlers. And there's a chart at the back of this book that really walks you through these levels of imitation. We didn't talk about it in this context today. We talked about just five ways to teach a child how to imitate, but actually there are eight levels of imitation and we walk a child beginning with actions with objects through body movements with communicative gestures all the way up to nonverbal actions. As you can see, this one page chart is a great cheat sheet if you're a therapist or, or a parent working with your own child at home to kind of see where a child is falling and they give you different ideas. We talked about going deep with a skill. So this chart helps you do that. It helps you go deep with uh, learning other things, new ideas to try. And if you are a therapist and want CE credit for that same information, as my Steps to Building Verbal Limitation in Toddlers is on DVD. And for speech pathologists, uh, ASHA CEUs are available for that. So those are some great resources uh, to help you with imitation. There's also tons of articles at uh, my website, teachmetotalk.com. So uh, take a look at those things. You can just enter imitation into the search bar at the uh, top right-hand corner and get a uh, lots of posts about that and so if you are a parent and really having a hard time kind of putting all this together or you are brand new your child is you've just 
figured out that your child has uh, difficulty learning how to talk or if you're a little further down the road and you've gotten an imita- uh, gotten an uh, assessment done and they they're they're telling you he doesn't imitate and so you're just starting to hear that word but you still haven't really put together why this is important those articles will help you understand it so go to teachmetotalk.com and let me fill in those gaps for you so that all this gets easier and it all makes sense all right so that's it for today Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and uh, thanks for listening or watching the podcast.